0: Continue this message series we've been in over the last few weeks on marriage that we're calling the vow. You can follow along this morning, and the YouVersion Bible app with the scriptures and the points as we go today. And our goal for this series is that uh, if you are not married, that uh, you will find some encouragement and some instruction and some direction that will help you build a marriage that will go the distance. And for those of us that are married, we will, uh, we'll find some fresh inspiration. We'll find some fresh ideas and something that will help us to love our spouses better. I am glad to see that the men are back today. Because after the last two Sundays, I didn't know if any guys would come back. I was kind of expecting to preach to a room full of ladies today. So I'm glad you came back today, guys, because I've, I've, uh, I've given it to you the last two weeks. Part three is going to continue that today. We're going to give it to all of us today as we continue to talk about the vow. And today we're going to talk about the vow of partnership. And uh, I'm excited about what we're going to share today. I want you to think this morning as we start. Those of you who are married, think back to when you first got married and when you were dating. Um, How many of you would say that you married someone who's opposite of you? All right, You might not want to raise your hand on that. Some of you, okay? I mean, now it's obvious, right? They say that when you first start dating, they say opposites attract. Anybody ever heard that? Opposites attract. Um, Unfortunately, sometimes for some people, once you get into marriages, opposites attack. Anybody have known that to be true? That opposites attack. You know, when you're, late, when you're dating, you look at her and you say, you know, she is driven. She's organized. And then when you get married, you say, she is going to drive me crazy. And then you look at him and you say, you know, he's, um, he's laid back. He's easy going. And then when you get married, you're like, he is a lazy bum. What's his problem? Opposites attract and later they attack. To kind of go along with that this week when I was looking for a Valentine's card. I, I, you know, and y'all do this too. You look, for the, you look at the funny ones first and then you go get the serious one. And maybe, maybe you do a funny and a serious. But I saw this one I thought was really good. Went along with what we're talking about today. The cover just sets it up. Honey, I love everything about you. And the inside says, well, except for the things I've already pointed out to you that drive me nuts. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Some of you can identify with that. Uh, I know for Tressa and I, when we first started dating, just like it was for you, it was the things that we had in common that attracted us to each other. That was the hook. And then once we got married, we realized that uh, we had a lot of things that were, we didn't have in common. I am a planner. I'm always thinking ahead. I'm way out there. She's only a day or two ahead. Um, she, uh, she is probably a, she is she's a night owl. And I'm a morning person. Now, she would say I'm really not a morning person. And I'm not like some of y'all are. But of the five people in my house, I qualify as number one <laughs> to be a morning person. I'm more of a morning person than anybody else. I asked her for a few. She said, well, she said, I would say that you are a cheerleader. I'm sorry, you're a leader and I'm a cheerleader. And I was like, okay. And she said this one. I didn't. She said, you're neat and I'm messy. Okay, So I want you to know I'm not going to get in trouble on that one because she said that that's how it works. But you guys have those in your marriage as well. And really it's a good thing that we're different because if we were the same, one of us would be unnecessary. I, I think about a scene in the TV show Seinfeld where Jerry has dated a bunch of different girls. And he meets this one girl that he says he's finally fallen in love with. And he looks at her and he realizes the reason why he loves her is because she's just like him. And at some point he says, I've swept myself off my feet. And then the more he gets to know her, the more he realizes that he doesn't like her because she's just like him. And then he ends by saying, I think I hate myself. So the differences are there in our lives. But here's the fact. God uses our differences... To, uh, to bring us closer together. But the enemy wants to use our differences to separate us. God wants to use them to strengthen us. And so this morning we're going to talk about the vow of partnership and we're going to learn how it can strengthen our marriages. But first of all, let's review a little bit where we've been over the last two weeks. We started in week one with this idea. We learned that God is our one and our spouse is our two. And we had two vows for the first week. The first vow went like this for the unmarried folks. I will seek the one while preparing for my two. Y'all unmarried folks, y'all remember that one? And then the vow for the married folks went like this. I promise that God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. And then last week we looked at vow number two, the vow of pursuit. And we said, I promise to always pursue my two. So hopefully this week was Valentine's Day, a perfect week for you to exercise what you learned last week when we said if you think something special, say it. If you think something special, do it. If you want something different, then be it. Well, this morning we're going to talk about the vow of partnership. And vow number three says this. I promise our marriage will be about we and not about me. That's the vow of partnership. Let's all say it together. I promise... Our marriage will be about we and not about me. Whenever we enter into a covenant relationship of marriage with our spouse, spouse, it is till death do us part. It is from this moment on. And it is no longer about me, 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 me. It is now about we, about us together. Our life will not be about me. It will be about we. And we're going to take this verse For today's vow, from the same place we've been in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where Jesus says, This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So since this is the vow of partnership, that word united, we're going to key in on that word a little bit more today. And that word really means for us to be completely joined together. Two separate people becoming one flesh. And Jesus actually quoted this verse in Matthew chapter 19. He quoted and talked about marriage from this verse in Genesis chapter 2. But before we talk about that, I want to I wanna say something. Because I, I want to say what I'm about to say through this verse with extreme sensitivity. Because I realize that some of you here this morning, your life has been affected by the pain of divorce. And for some of you, you would say, I didn't want this to happen. I would have done anything in my power for it not to happen. I didn't stand in front of my children and my, I'm sorry, my family and my parents and the pastor and the church and make a vow that I planned on ending at some point. Some of you would say, my divorce was my fault. It was me. I did it. I'm to blame. I've learned through the years that I was the one who caused that to happen. And so my my point and desire today is not to create any extra guilt or condemnation for what's happened in the past, but rather to create a foundation today from the Word of God through which we can build for future marriages so that they can go the distance and be God-honoring and life-changing. Is that okay? It is. It is okay. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to say, you know, we can't change the past. But we can go and move forward with what God's word tells us to do. Amen? So this is what Jesus said. Jesus quoting Genesis chapter 2, which by the way tells us that, okay, how do we know the Old Testament is real? We know Jesus was real. Well, Jesus quoted all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. Watch this. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and he said... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become what? One flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, before I unpack that, I want to take a severe right turn and get on the rabbit trail and come right back to the path. But I feel like I need to say this, okay? regularly now, every week, we hear something in the media, it is in commercials that we see now regularly, you've seen this, that same-sex marriage is normal. It's regular, it's, uh, it's okay, it's no big deal, and it's presented to us all the time that way. Anybody else seeing this more regularly in commercials? I saw a Pandora commercial two nights ago that didn't have this. And I actually said, wow, there's not a same-sex marriage couple in that Pandora commercial. I was like, wow. And so we know that there is a small minority of our culture, the statistics tell us, the LGBTQ community that is pushing this idea. There are people in the church world, as a matter of fact, more and more who are accepting the idea Of same-sex marriage. Saying that mm, God's word really either didn't mean what it said. That they meant something else. Or it's just outdated. Or that nothing was said. I've heard people even say that Jesus was silent on the issue of LGBTQ or the issue of same-sex marriage. This verse on the screen says something completely different. Okay. Now. I'm not saying this to hammer on those people. But I'm, I want to give you some instruction today. And you don't take this home and hammer on people. We're, we're called to love. The truth in love. So let me give you the truth today. It's very clear. And, and, and it, 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 Jesus was very clear. Go back one screen. Jesus says, watch it. He's, he's quoting Genesis 2. Haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? So Jesus is very clearly saying that the creator, his father, made two distinct beings from the beginning, male and female. Is that clear enough for for us? Okay. And then he said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. So Jesus is saying, okay, we start with male and female. Then that male and female are then going to be united. And where do they have to come from? Another male and female, the father and the mother. So in just a few verses that we're awfully familiar with, Jesus has shown us what marriage looks like. You cannot physically become one flesh unless you have male and female. That's 10th grade biology. Right? Okay. So I just want to share that with you. I believe we're all on the same page with that. But I want us all to understand that the word, no matter what we hear and no matter what's pushed in front of us, that we understand the word of God is very clear about what marriage looks like one man, one woman for life. All right? We're gonna get back off the track and get back on the, the, the vow path, okay? Everybody okay? Now, I read this verse this week. Go, go to one more screen for me. And that very last line, therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate, that, that clicked in my mind because I've stood right here in this position in this church and in other places. And as a pastor, that's the next to the last line of the marriage ceremony. Anybody remember that? It's the, it's the next to the most important line for the husband. Because the next line is where the husband hears, you may now kiss your bride. That's the one he's waiting for. And then, da, 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 and they run out, and everything's great. But that's that last line that we speak over a couple. It comes from the Word of God, and it is the words of who, y'all? Jesus. That's an easy question to answer. Jesus says, "What? who has joined together? God has joined together. Let no one separate. So, if we understand that our world is, is wrecked and racked, and it's in, in divorce and hurt and adultery and pain are a real part of some of your stories and it's a part of the world we live in, how can we live out Matthew 19? Well, here we go. What we have to understand, first of all, is what marriage is from the beginning. and We have to understand that marriage is a covenant, not a contract. To some people, marriage is just something that the justice of the peace or the judge signs. But marriage is not a contract. But marriage is a holy covenant before God. And there's a big difference between a contract and a covenant. Watch this. A contract is based on mutual distrust. So if you're in a contract with somebody, you sign on the dotted line with somebody because you don't know them well enough to know. You don't know their word well enough to know. And even if it's a friend, if you're a smart business person, and just nod your head with me if you agree. Even if it's a friend or a family member, if you are wise, you will have a contract. Because people are people, right? And people will do people stuff. And you sign a contract because basically you're saying, I don't trust you fully, but I want you to sign this contract to prove your faithfulness. And then if you're not faithful, I'll have recourse against you. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago of all the different places that Tress and I have lived. When we've been married and three times we were renters, we rented an apartment and when we first got married we've rented two houses. And even though I think we're upstanding citizens with jobs and we don't have a record and, and you know we brush our teeth and take baths daily, they still require that we walk in there and fill out all that paperwork and sign a contract saying that we will pay the rent every month, that we'll pay the down payment, that if we don't, here's what's going to happen And even here at the church, we sign contracts. You know, well, well, my Lord, it's, it's God's house. Everything should be okay. Well, no, if we're smart and wise stewards of what God has given us, we make folks sign contracts, even people that we trust, because it's it's good stewardship of God's money and of our money. Amen? But a covenant is completely different. A covenant isn't based on mutual distrust. Watch this. A covenant is based on mutual commitment. A covenant says, I'm in 100% with every part of my being. That word covenant is translated from the Hebrew word berith. And that word means a cutting or a binding agreement, literally a blood covenant. In the Old Testament when there would need to be uh, sins forgiven, you remember this. They would take an animal, they would do what? Cut the animal and what? Blood would flow and as a result of the blood that would flow, then a covenant was made over That uh, over that family or those sins. Fast forward to the New Testament, we have what Paul talks about as the new covenant. And the new covenant is because Jesus stepped into this world, he became the Lamb of God, slain. From the foundation of the world, the spotless Lamb of God who gave up his life for your life and for my life. If somebody else want to get excited with me about this this morning. He gave his life for us and he created a new covenant. Amen. Amen. A new covenant. And it's Jesus didn't make a commitment to you and me. He bound it in his blood, a covenant. Amen. So that type of agreement in the Old Testament happens when a couple would, would get married in Jewish traditions. They would stand before a priest. A priest would take a knife and slice the, hand, the right hand of the groom and slice the right hand of the bride. And they would take their hands and the blood would flow and they'd put their hands together and the blood would intermingle because the book of Leviticus chapter 17 says the life is in the Blood, and they would raise their hands up and they would say these words I will never leave you nor forsake you so help me God and then the priest would take a cord and wrap a cord around that symbolizing by their bound bleeding hands that they were making a blood covenant and together they had become one flesh That's the marriage day. Fast forward to the honeymoon that night. In God's perfect world, this is what would happen. A virgin man would enter a virgin woman. And there would be a shedding of blood. And this is a holy, righteous, And beautiful occasion ordained by God, symbolizing that they are both physically united and spiritually united, becoming one flesh. And this is the reason why lovemaking in the eyes of God was created by God. For us, it is a beautiful, righteous, and holy thing to be reserved only for marriage. Now, I'm going to sound a little bit old-fashioned. Some people may say this is a little little wacky, but if you want normal, you can have normal. I'll give you a Dr. Phil this morning. Dr. Phil looks across and he says, "How's that working for you?" So I want to ask you, how's normal the normal way of things working for people today? We have pain, we have abuse, we have divorce, we have hurt. We have baggage. I don't want anything to do with normal. The fact is, if you want something that other people don't have, you must do something that other people don't do. I hope that didn't go right over your head. If you want something, look at me, those of you who aren't married, teenagers and young adults, if you want something that other people don't have, you must do something that other people did not Do Is it possible to wait until you're married to open up this gift that God created? Absolutely. With God, all things are possible. And that is why reserving and waiting to open up the gift of lovemaking that God has given for us is so important. I appreciate the fact that our youth movement and our college and career are unpacking this right now in the month of February for our students. And talking about the value of waiting. Tressa and I made this commitment before we met each other. We made this commitment when we met one another. And as we were dated, we waited to share that gift. Thank God he helped us. And it has helped us to build a foundation that uh, is a pretty strong, and that, that's a light word, it is an incredibly strong bond that we share because we made that decision. Not to say that if you didn't start out that way, that that your marriages and your life is a wreck because there is forgiveness and restarts in Jesus every day of the week. Amen? But we say this, and I'm not afraid to say it on a Sunday morning because as I've told you before, we need to uh, take away this stigma where we can't talk about intimacy in the context of the house of God because God created it. Amen? The world has taken and made it er- ugly and dirty and messy and, and, uh, and has, has caused it to be tainted in every way possible. Let us as the church take it back and show and say from God's word what it's really supposed to be about. And so if you want normal, you can have normal. But here's what happens today. Today, unmarried people do married things before they're married. A couple says we like each other, we love each other, we'll save money, we'll move in together, and we'll do married stuff together, like put our our unmarried toothbrushes beside each other. That's nothing, really. Then we'll go and we'll we'll buy an unmarried couch together, and we will unmarried go buy that nice uh, $250 uh, barista coffee maker together. And then we'll do other unmarried things, you know, together. And then somewhere along the line, when I don't love you anymore, then we have a conversation that says, well, you take the couch and I'll take the coffee pot and you take your toothbrush and I'll take mine and then we'll go down the road. And couples will repeat this process and they practice marriage and they practice divorce. And this goes on and on and on and on. And then when they get in a relationship and they make the decision for a holy covenant before God, it's easier for them to skip out on it because they've been practicing it for years. This is normal. This is normal in our culture. This is why we don't enter into a contract when we get married. It's not I'm in as far as you're in. A covenant says I'm in 100% of the way. On the good days and the bad days, the sunny days and the rainy days. The grumpy days and the happy days. I'm in. Amen? Let me remind you what you said the day you got married. Watch this. These are the vows that you took. Something similar to this. These are the ones that I share with couples. I, husband, take you, wife, too. Watch this. To have and to hold from this day forward. For better or worse for richer or poor in sickness and in health to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live according to God's holy ordinance somebody help me right here to this to this not a contract To this covenant, I pledge to you my faith. It's not 50 50. It's not I'm in as long as you're in. It's 100%. Marriage is never dividing everything in half, it's giving everything you've got. Trusty used to have a joke, she doesn't say as much anymore, but when we first got married, she'd say, What's mine is mine, and what's yours is mine. And that's true. It's, it's all of ours is each other's stuff. It's never ever do unto others as you want them to do unto you. It's, to, it's do unto others as Christ has done unto us. And Christ laid down his life and gave his best so we're to do our best for our partner in marriage. Amen. Let's talk a little bit about this covenant partnership. And we're going to summarize it in one statement this morning. It's this. Covenant Partnership is summarized as godly leadership and mutual submission. Now, if you didn't throw anything at me yet this morning, this is where you've really got a good opportunity. Because that word submission calls people to freak out. We don't like that word submission. And I understand that word has often been misused and abused. But notice what's on the screen, ladies and gentlemen. It says, what kind of submission Mutual, because look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul gets a bad rap sometimes about his uh, instructions on marriage, but we forget how he opens up that passage. He says, submit to what? One another out of reverence for Christ. Everybody in the house, let's read that together. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. We're to submit to each other in the relationship. Let me ask you a question right here. How many of you would say you are naturally dominant? You're just a naturally dominant person. How many of you are naturally passive? Okay. If you're not sure if you're passive and you're asking your neighbor, then you're passive. Okay. That's that's a good idea to know if you're passive or not. Trusting a I, a while ago, I, I told you that she said I'm a leader and she's a cheerleader. But but I, I told her I disagree with that. I see what she's saying. But we're both firstborn. We're both natural leaders. And so that naturally has brought some of this uh, in our relationship through the years. But I would say, and she'll probably give a big amen, that I'm the more dominant one in the relationship. I don't step on her by any means. And those of you who know her knows that, know that that would never happen. But... Here's the fact, I would be the dumbest man alive if I did not leverage her gifts and abilities and talents and passions that God has given this amazing woman to be a part of our life and our family and our ministry and for our children. It would be dumb for me to, to be so the man that I couldn't allow that to happen. And some men are that way. Some men walk in the door and, and they say, well, that's what the Word of God says. And that's how it's supposed to be. And you're going to submit to me. That is one stupid man. It's a man who, who, who can read Scripture but can't discern Scripture. Oh, that's good preaching and not in my notes. Because look at what the next verse says, okay? It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. That's the scripture, that's what it says. But the scripture goes on to say that husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I would stand flat-footed and tell you, men, we've got the harder job. We're called to love our wives as Christ loved and gave himself up for the church. And if you love your wife like Christ loved and gave himself up for the church, she will have no problem submitting in your home. Scripture is clear. The husband is to be the head of the house. And I know some of you hear this because you hear it and you've experienced the bad side of that and the abusive side of that and the side of that that's not healthy. But I want I want to try to unpack this a little bit this morning. And I'm going to ask Tressa to come this morning and help me with this because I want her to answer two questions this morning from, from that side of things. And, and the first thing that she's going to answer is this, what does the word submission mean to you?
1: Who, At first, that word was, um, was really difficult for me in my teenage years and, and my college years. And I had been raised by my parents to be a strong woman and to be independent and self-sufficient. And to not have to depend on any man to take care of me. I've got this. Thank you very much. And all of that is good. And all of that is well. But um, that submission word, because of that, I guess came with a really negative connotation with that. Because it seemed weak. And it seemed like I would be trampled over or I would be stepped upon. I wouldn't have a say-so. And I would just be, yes, master, yes, sir. And I was not raised like that. And my mother and my father have a wonderful marriage. And it wasn't displayed in my home that way. That my hus- my father dominated over my mom. It wasn't like that at all. Um, but I just know how my parents raised me. And um, as I I furthered my relationship, though, with Christ, and I deepened in my walk with him, and any time that I have ever whispered a prayer that I want to do what you want me to do, Lord, I want to be who you want me to be, Lord, I want to make sure that I'm obeying you, I have to obey every part of God's word not just the part that I agree with and not just the part that culture agrees with and that society will give a nod to. We're okay with that. But this other, absolutely not because his ways are higher for me. And if I'm going to claim to be a Christ follower and I'm going to pray and I'm going to speak what I have spoken in a moment of surrender. I have to surrender all things. And that includes taking on every part of God's Word. And that's where the turn came for me. Because submission is part of what I'm supposed to do according to God's Word. And he already spoke about Ephesians 5.21. If it's done in a proper way, and that's the hard thing. I know we've seen sometimes or have heard of those situations where it has been very abusive. And so that probably has helped to rise up in us ladies. Like, I will not be treated that way. And that's understandable. But there comes a point where we have to obey the Lord first. And and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what Women's Lib wants to tell us. It goes back to what we're talking about. We're not part of this world. We're not part of this kingdom thinking. We're part of God's kingdom. And we become peculiar people. We become different. And we become a, a standout sometimes. And if this is one area where I had to, first of all, come under submission to my Lord, then I will do that. And you know what? It's okay. Because obedience is better than sacrifice.
0: Amen. Give her that's a good wisdom. That's good. And
1: another thing.
0: That's good. Thank you. Thank you so much. And she's right. Sometimes, unfortunately, and you've seen men who dominate over their wives and are and are abusive and use their authority in a negative way. But sometimes I see this, and I've heard other pastors say this. Sometimes I see men who are too passive. Men who won't step up and who lead. Men, I want to say something to you. I told you it's coming again. But men, you are called to lead. Leading doesn't mean you make all the decisions. That's a dictatorship. That's not leadership. But leading means you set the tone in the decisions and the directions of the family. On my business card and on my desk, it says, lead pastor. I am called here at this time to lead the direction and the vision of this church. I would be the most foolish pastor on this planet if I didn't bring around people smarter than me who have more years and wisdom than me and who see the whole picture to help me do this. Every month I have a church and pastor's council that we sit down and look at the financial Part of the church and the big decisions and the big pictures. part of the church. And I'm the lead pastor, but I lean on them. Every month, I sit with my leadership team made up of staff and leaders of this church. And we sit for usually three hours once a month. And we pray and we talk about vision and we talk about what we're doing well. We talk about what we need to get better. We try to hear from the voice of God. And I 100% believe, I know That what we're seeing happen, the growth and the energy and the spirit of unity that's happening in our church over the last few years isn't because of one person. It is a collection of people working together for a common good. But somebody has to be the leader. I I sat last week with, with a group of people from some churches who were experiencing some really crazy difficult stuff that we would we have never experienced in this church and would not experience and the problem was there was no leadership in those churches and that's often, I believe, the problem sometimes in some homes. And, and men, let me just challenge you. It's, it's this balance of doing what God's called us to do, but for us to be the men of the home. It's like what I told you a few weeks ago. Guys, you should be the ones, up first up on Sunday morning, grabbing your kids and your family and saying, We're going to church this morning, and, let me get in your mess, we're going to be on time today too. We're going to go to church. We're going to make sure we're a part of what's going on other than just Sunday mornings. We're going to be a part of a small group. And we're going to be part of discipleship. And we're we're going to make sure that our children are growing. And our relationship as uh, as husband and wife is, is growing. Men, you set the spiritual tone in your family. Your wife contributes all day, every day in amazing ways. But men, your wives want you to set that tone. You lead with dignity, you lead with honor, you lead by serving first. You serve her, she'll love you to the day she dies. But the decisions are made together. I, you know, you share and you make those goals and decisions together. I, I've shared a little bit in this series about the turns and twists that our lives have taken through the years of 24 years of being married. And 10 years ago, we reached a crossroads in our lives and in our marriage uh, and, and not in our marriage, but the direction of our family. And I was, in my mind, I was ready to go move from being a lead pastor um, to being a youth pastor, being a lead pastor. She was not ready for that yet. And she was very clear. I'm not ready for that. And we would, I would tiptoe into that conversation, and she would be like, Mm-mm, I, I just don't think that's right now. And I even went and talked to some people to see what that would look like. But we prayed about those things together and although it was something I was thinking that I was ready for, she wasn't ready for. And the Lord helped me to be wise and we didn't make that decision. And we waited and the Lord sent us in a different direction to get us ready for where we stand today. And seven years later at God's time and in God's way, God put us back here in this position to become lead pastors here. And when that opportunity came, she was ready for it. As much as she's ever going to be ready for it. But much more ready than she was seven years earlier. But she wasn't kicking and screaming. And she knew that this is what God's will was for our lives. She had some uh, worries and some self-doubt. And we both have wrestled with a lot of that. But my point is, is we make decisions together. I'm not going to... Being the head of the home doesn't mean I make this huge left turn and come home and say, I just want to tell you about what I bought or what I did or where we're moving to or what's happening. You do it together. You do it together. You submit one to another. It's a partnership. If you have two visions, you have division. And that's not, that's not unity. That's division. Let me say this to you. We're almost done. Your marriage... Will be as good as both of you decide it will be. And I know some of you are in a position where. You feel like you're doing all the work in that relationship and your spouse isn't on board with things of God. Or maybe even won't come to church with you or worship God with you. But can I just remind you, you agreed to a covenant, not a contract. Stay in it. Do what you do to honor God and pray and believe that God will do a work in you. It's always a choice. It will always be work. It always takes putting God first and making Him priority. It always takes dying to yourself. It always takes pursuing one another. It always takes it being about we and not me. And I promise you, there will be times where you don't feel like doing it. You don't feel like loving. You don't feel like forgiving. You don't feel like working at it. But get over your feelings. There's no other area in your life where you can say and you can get away with it and say, Well, I just don't feel like it. What if you said, I don't feel like feeding the baby today. How's that going to work for you? What if you say, Well, I just don't feel like going to work today. Well, I hope you don't feel like eating. This is going to sting because we're right here at it. But we all say, I don't feel like paying taxes But I don't feel like going to jail. So I'd rather pay my taxes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's not always about what you feel. Your marriage isn't measured by your feelings. Your marriage is measured by commitment. You're both in a covenant. Feelings follow commitment. Everybody say that with me. Feelings follow commitment. And some people say, well, I'm just not happy anymore. I fell out of love. Well, just because you don't feel love doesn't mean you throw in the towel. And here's my response to that. The I fell out of love response. Getting divorced because you ran out of love is like selling your car because you ran out of gas. When your car runs out of gas, what do you do? You fill up the tank. It's like what I told you last week with the basketball illustration. If your marriage is out of gas, you fill up the tank. You fill up the tank. You fill up the tank. You do the first works first. You build it back up. You pursue her. You go back and listen to the message from last week. You're in a covenant. It's not about me. It's about we. A covenant. A mutual commitment before a holy God. Kevin, if you'll come and play and we'll finish this up watch this on the screen everybody here we go two words pop quiz what's the difference between those two words don't say it out loud see if you can figure it out and I'll tell you in just a second what's the difference between united and untied it's all about where the I is how many of you got that right it's all about where the eye is. If the eye is in the right place, we are what? If the eye is in the wrong place, we are Take that home. That's worth price of admission for today. If the eye is in the right place, if I'm in the right place, we're going to be what? United? Together, home team, doing this thing together. But if my I, if my, if me, if I'm in the wrong place, we're untied. How many of you ever get untied in your marriage and realize it's been a little bit more about me than we? And then you get united and you realize that there's got to be a change. But when I am in the right place with the help of God and she's in the right place, then we can have a marriage that honors God that makes Him priority, that pursues Him with all that we have, that realizes that we are in a covenant, we are in a partnership. I promise our marriage will be about we and not me. That is the commitment for today. Amen? Let's stand together today. week one we talked about the vow of priority last week we talked about the vow of pursuit today we talked about the vow of partnership we talked about the vow of priority the first week because unless we get that right we can't get the rest of it right amen we've got to get the vow of priority right and what that means it's key this word that we talked about today the word submission is key What it means above everything else. It means that if if this is going to work. If the eye is going to be in the right place. With everything in my power. As I depend on him. I must walk in submission first of all to him. When I get this out of line. Everything else is out of line. Anybody ever noticed just nod at me if this has happened in your marriage. When you and Jesus are out of line, you and your spouse are out of line. Anybody ever notice that? If you're not reading, praying, serving, worshiping, and you're just not connected with Him. But you know why? Because we love, help me finish this sentence, because He first loved us, right? So I love her. My best way to love her is through my love from Him, right? So it starts with Submission. And any part of your marriage today that seems like, man, we're just not there. It starts with submission. Unmarried people who want to be married one day, look at me right here. All unmarried people. It starts with submission. God is your one. Your spouse is your two. Get the one right. You'll get the two right. Amen. Married people. Submit yourselves unto God and He will direct your paths. Scripture says it. So this morning I want us to land here for a moment in a place where as individuals we're all just sitting here thinking I am, anybody else, I can do better in submitting more of me to God. He needs more than what I'm giving. I need to give even more to Him. He, He wants everything that I have. That's where it starts. A better marriage, a better future marriage. The best future marriage, a God-honoring marriage, happens when we submit ourselves unto Him. Heads bowed, eyes closed this morning. Let's all together right now just breathe a prayer to Him. And if you're saying, man, Pastor, you're right. I just I need to do a better job of submitting myself unto Him. God, right now we come together as a church body. And we realize that the first thing we must do is submit ourselves unto You. Your word says when we humble ourselves before you, you will lift us up. So all over this house right now, God, I I lift my hands and I say, God, I submit every part of myself to you. Lord, my dreams, my desires, my goals, Lord, my finances, my plans, my wife, my children, my family, my future. God, I submit it all over to you today. Lord, I pray if there's any area in my life today, if there's any area in the lives of our church family today that we have a grip on and we're not submitting it over to you, God, reveal that to us today. Open our eyes today, Lord, to see those areas in our lives that we need to completely push across the table and surrender going. All in, pushing everything over to you, Lord. We surrender and we submit it all to you today. Lord, we pray that prayer this morning. God, I pray right now for those in the room who are unmarried, who hope to be married one day. Those who have never been married and those who have been married before and want to get married again. And I pray over them today. God, I pray, God, that they get this right That they would submit themselves to you. First of all, that you would be their one. Their spouse down the road would be their two. God, I pray for purity this morning. We've talked about it today. And God, in your plan, you have a perfect plan for us to become one flesh with a future spouse. So I pray over these students, these teenagers, these young adults today who are holding on They're learning why true love waits. God, help them to make that decision, to stick with that decision no matter what. I pray you'll give them strength. I pray, God, that you'll protect them from the work of the enemy. Will somebody pray with me over these kids? Lord, I pray you would watch over them. I pray you'd help them to make right decisions. Help them to be pure in their minds and in their thoughts and in their desires. Help them to wait for the one that you've designed for them. God, I pray that for every young man and young woman in this room, God, you would direct their paths at the right time. If it's six or eight or ten years from now, or if it's six months or two years, God, put the right husband, the right wife in their path. God at the right time help them not to make a bad decision by God help them through submitting themselves to you God to completely see God you do a work in their lives and for them to have a God honoring generation changing marriage that brings you glory and brings you honor and God in this house right now every married couple grab the hand of your spouse hold that hand up and say and pray a covenant prayer over them today. Lord, we pray covenant prayers in this room. God, we stood in a place like this, and we made a covenant before you, and we said, till death do us part. God, we pray right now, Jesus, that you would help us, Lord, to walk in that. God, we pray that we would honor our covenant. Help us to give 100%. God, help us not to go on just what we feel, but God, help us to go according to our commitment. Lord, that our feelings would follow the commitment, not anything else. God, every attack of the enemy, everything that the enemy would bring against couples in this room to cause their marriages to to be destroyed. In the name of Jesus, we pray you would raise up a standard against the enemy. We pray for godly leadership that every man in this room God would be anointed and used of you, God, to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and Lord, that as they do that, that their wives will be submissive to them, and they will be submissive to each other, serving each other, loving each other, building a God honoring home that will change the future generations of their children and their grandchildren, that will break bondages that have been in their past and in their families, and that marriages that make those commitments will go the distance Lord we need you we cannot do it without you and Lord so today we submit our futures we submit our present our past we give it all over to you today and we thank you God that you are able to keep us you're able to go with us and we praise you for it in Jesus name in Jesus name will you sing this with me today Oh, Lord, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness, oh, God, how I. Let's sing it again. Let's sing that over your marriage and over your future marriage. Oh, Lord, I need you. Oh, I... Lord, in our marriages today, we invite you in. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need nobody looking around one more prayer and then we're going to go home for today anybody here today to say pastor before I make that step to prepare my heart for my future spouse before I make that step to live the way I need to and love the way I need to for my spouse I've got to get you number one in my life and right now you're not number one in my life God's not number one in my life. I'm pursuing other things, and I need to make Jesus Christ the Lord and the priority of my life today. Before we leave, we've got to pray that prayer. And I pray this morning, if there's anybody here today who'd say, Pastor, I need to make that right. I need to get that lined up first. I need to put God as my one and everything else as my two before I leave here today. If I could pray that prayer with you today, would you slip up your hand and put it right back down? And we'll pray that prayer quickly today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Several hands going up. Anybody else today needs to make that prayer? Thank you. Anybody else today? I need to make that prayer. I need to make Christ first in my life today. Oh, we're about to pray a life-changing, generation-shaping prayer in this house. Because we got to get this right, amen? Let's pray today. And if you lifted your hand today, maybe you've prayed this prayer before. Maybe it's the first time you've ever prayed it. But the Word of God says that if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that Christ raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. We will be transformed. We will be changed. Lord, right now, you see every person in this room today who lifted their hands, those maybe who didn't, but will pray this prayer, who need to make you the priority in their lives. And God, as we pause at the end of this service and do the most important thing we can do today, I pray that you would move into the lives of these men and women that are going to pray this prayer. You would transform their hearts and you would draw them near you. And all week long, may you remind them of what they have shared, what they've done in this house today. Will you pray this prayer after me today? Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. I ask you to forgive me today of every sin. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins. I believe that you were buried in a tomb. And I believe that you were risen from the grave. I'd like to accept you now as my Lord. I'd like to make you my Savior. Lead me and guide me. Help me to put you first. As I pursue everything else second. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Will we give God praise today for our lives that have been changed and transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you for that today. If you pray that prayer today, don't just pray it and walk out. Do something that's going to begin to move you in a relationship with God. There are some little books that we have on the corners up here. There's books right on the other side of that wall when you walk out that are free. You can grab a book and uh, it will help you in your walk with God. Have a great afternoon and a great week. We'll see you back here Wednesday night at 7 o'clock for Family ministry.